seat. Lord, open your word to us, change us, give us a great burden for things that you care about. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Revelation chapter 16. This is called the seven bowls. Would you please repeat that? The seven bowls. Already know now we're only going to get through five of them. And um, this is one of the toughest chapters in the entire Bible. And we're not going to dodge it. We're going to look at it. We're going to study it. We're going to think about it. Now, uh, before we get to the text, does anybody know what this place is? This is a new Kroger of Man of War. No, this is, what is it? Mammoth Cave. How many have been to Mammoth Cave? Hold your hand up. It's a pretty incredible thing. It's been a while since Sue and I've been there, but we loved it. You'll never forget it if you get there. Take your children. It became a national park in 1941. There is the red dot where it is in western Kentucky, maybe three hours from here. And that's the entrance, the main entrance to Mammoth Cave. And I would urge you to get down there and see it quickly. This is breaking news, but you need to see it very soon because starting next fall, they're going to be building condos in the cave and selling them. And actually, it will be for college students. You know this is a joke, right? Some of you went, really? Uh, and it's going to be for college students. This gentleman's probably a Clemson student. Uh, they're, they're, they're cave dwellers, and so they would love being there. Um, it is a beautiful place. It, when you go there, you have to go, well, God, look what you did. You're pretty incredible. Uh, it is the longest cave system in the world. There are people here in Kentucky, 30 minutes from there, that have never been there when people from France fly over here just to see it. It's kind of uh, ironic. Over 400 miles. Intricate. Cave system. And it's all under the state of Kentucky. Take a minute now and look at your feet and see if it's, you can see it anywhere near you. Yeah. And that's just what they've been able to uncover so far. This is kind of a digital map of the caves and all their passages. Uh, they are still mapping this after all this these years. And they are still exploring All kind of tours you can do. It's based on how long you want to be there. It's based on what you want to see. It's based on how much difficulty you actually want to go through. And it can be two to six hours. I think me and my family did the two-hour tour. Uh, Some of the most famous trails are Frozen Niagara Trail. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. Few steps. 
This is the Grand Avenue Trail. Uh, this is a bit insulting. I don't like the name of this trail. It's called the Fat Man's Misery Trail. When I was squeezing through some of these parts, there were a couple of college students behind me say, if he gets stuck, we'll just keep pushing till we get him through. Not very sweet, but kind of exciting. This is called the Rotunda. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. This is a 2,000-year-old pictograph by Native Americans. They have said, estimated, Native Americans used this for maybe 4,000 years. This is fascinating. Early explorers in this particular cavern where the, the ceiling was only about seven feet high would write their names with candles and the soot from the candle. I can't see it back there, but there's one right here that says 1819. How about that? Fascinating. Look at the gentleman standing right there. Uh, The thing that I want to talk to you about that figures in with the message that I will never forget, there's about 50 of us. And they tell us to sit down on this wooden benches and it's a park ranger and he says I am going to cut off all the lights in this section of the cave we're about a half mile under the ground I'm going I don't know if I want you I could feel my wife starting to bolt and I had to grab her hand because she would bolt into the darkness and the ranger said I want you to experience what total darkness is And this is what we experienced. I've never been any place where there's no light. It was amazing, but it was also kind of creepy. Now we're going to see this in the passage today in chapter 16. Now let's start reading. You got your Bibles? Hold your Bibles up. Let me see. You got your Bibles? Excellent. Chapter 16, verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and he poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore, notice, a specific people. I do not believe there are Christians on the earth at this time. There may be some that become Christians during this time, but they will have to go through some difficult things. Came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So we have painful sores. Painful sores like the blisters that Job had as Satan smote him. No relief. Constant pain. Sores like the Egyptians had. If you notice, these plagues run parallel to the plagues in Egypt. And sores like the beggar Lazarus endured that Jesus talked about a real person. These would be incurable. 
These would be, and I'm, I'm using my imagination, reoccurring. You felt one would go away, then another one would come back. They would be painful. They would be running. They would be oozing sores. Now, here's, here's what your pastor's thinking. It's very important. When you look at stuff like this, this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff to get your head around. Righteous judgment. Everyone say righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is necessary. It is proper. It is a proper response to evil. People that hurt and kill and destroy. People that deceive. People that bring hardship on the earth will one day. There is not total justice in this earth now. But people will face the judge of all the universe. This is a man that created North Korea. And millions of people have suffered because of him and his family. He died about 20 years ago and he faced his judge. The second thing I want to say about God's justice and his judgment. I believe he uses the least amount of pressure to get people to turn and repent. If you look back on your life, how much pressure did you need? How many times did you have to go through things of your own choosing because you wouldn't listen? And I think about our nation. God is trying to get our nation's attention. And he will get our nation's attention one way or the other. And it will not be fun unless we have an awakening, unless we have a revival. He's trying to get our attention. How much pressure does it take to wake up the church? Now, the next bowl we look starts at verse number three. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Next, we see the oceans turn to blood. The waters in the world's seas. And I'm trying to use my imagination to think how this would come about. They become thick. They become dark. They become coagulated. The scripture uses a word like a corpse. And it's like the first plague against Egypt. Pharaoh would not let God's people go. They worshipped the Nile. About four years ago on my way to Iraq, we got to stop over in Egypt for 24 hours. I got to see the Nile. I got to ride alongside the Nile. I got to cross the Nile on this most ancient river. It was encouraging to my faith to see it and see what happened there. It affected that mighty river, but these plagues will affect the whole earth. Billions of sea creatures will die. The scripture says everything in the sea will die. And you think about the decay, you think about the stench, will add to the misery of those people left on earth at this time. 
The third bowl is found in verse number 4. Look at it with me. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of all the waters. Isn't that fascinating to think? He said, just are you, O holy one, who is, who was, for you brought about these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and of prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar, everyone say altar, saying, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true, and just are your judgments. So you notice the pressure ramping up. So the fresh waters will become undrinkable. Drinking water at this time, and this, I'm going to guess this may be the last several months of the seven year tribulation period, right before Christ comes back. Fresh water, the drinking supply has been short uh, supply. Now the rivers and the springs are all polluted and fouled. And notice it's targeted. Who is it targeted toward? Those that took the mark. Those that worshipped the beast. And they have already been suffering from thirst. And now there's not clean water even to wash their sores. The angel in charge of the waters of the earth declared this righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. The righteousness of the father and stating what is righteousness. He always speaks right. He always does right. He always thinks right. He is completely right. He cannot do wrong. Say it with me, please. Righteous are you who are and who were because you judged these things. Keep saying, they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink. What goes around comes around. You shed the blood of my people, therefore you get blood. This super being, this majestic warrior angel exonerates God from people that would say, your judgments are too harsh. He says, absolutely not. And it's my estimate that the generation of live, not including Christians, are the most wicked generation ever. You do know Christians will die for their faith today around the world. You do know that, right? And the closer we get to the Lord's return, more people will give their life for the gospel all over the world. But they will shed more innocent blood than any generation in history. And the God of the universe takes note of that. Because these wicked armies and rulers and people will wage war against those who share the gospel, against the true prophets of God. Some people believe the prophets and prophecy went out with the first church. That's not true. We still see them here. 
at the very end and against all believers. Now, I wrote this down, the personified altar in heaven declared that God is just in his judgments. Now, I don't know what this means. When John saw in the heavens, he saw the altar speak. And I don't know if that's that glorious holy furniture or if it's super beings gathered around the altar. But they said, Father, you are true. Father, you are righteous. All of your judgments are deserved. And I would say, you know, we live in a time, I guess it's always been this way, where people mock God. People say things that indicate where their heart is. Like, well, God doesn't know what he's doing. If God is good, why does this exist? Why is there war if God is good? God obviously doesn't care or God does not exist or God is not fair or God is not just and his word is not true. It's just a bunch of myths. Well, the angel and the altar told us differently. Those lies come from the father of lies. Jesus said the devil was a murderer from the very beginning. He is a liar. Everyone say liar. And he's a father of lies. The fourth bowl. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who actually had power over the plagues. Underscore this, but they did not repent and they did not give him glory. Men are scorched by the sun. All it takes is for the earth to tilt a few degrees. Instead of the sun bringing life, it brings death. And the sun that normally gives energy and warmth and light, it's a wonderful gift from God, now at this point becomes a deadly killer. God is ramping up the pressure. There's no fresh water to drink. And those that remain on the earth are faced with this intense, blistering heat. And here's what's astonishing. They know this is a judgment from God. The scripture says they know this. And people in the earth know that there is a God. They know the laws of God because they've been chiseled on their heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking to them. And yet, they accuse God of injustice or cruelty or being vindictive instead of taking responsibility for their own sin. Do you ever do that? Do you ever blame others? Do you ever blame God? And their true hatred for God is now manifest instead of it being hidden. You know, pressure brings out what's on the inside. 
And with their hardened hearts, the remaining people on the earth blaspheme the holy name of God. Years ago, there was a family that came here and we loved them and helped them and they became part of our family and they were involved. And the most mysterious thing happened, they just dropped out. They didn't say anything. Wouldn't return a phone call. God did so many miracles in that family. It was, it was stunning. I went to their house. I knocked on the door and the wife came to the door. She looked like when she saw me, she had seen a ghost. And I just quoted her name and said, we've just really missed you. Are you guys doing okay? Is there anything I can do? You want to talk? And she stiffened up. Her face got flush. He said, I no longer believe any of that. I don't believe the Bible is true. I don't even believe in who people say Jesus is. And I was gone. And we have no desire to be a part of your church or your church family. All of us are done and through. Leave us alone. And I haven't seen them since. I still pray for them. Somebody later sent me a Facebook post that she she put on. Instead of reading the word and growing in her faith, she started messing on the internet. And she found skeptics and angry people. And somebody sent me one of her posts. She found a former Assembly of God pastor who fell away from the faith, who has now declared himself to be an atheist. Not an atheist, but he hated God. How do you hate someone that doesn't exist? If you say he doesn't exist, how can you hate him? And she gave... He gave her all the reasons why the scripture was not true and God was not loving and God was unjust and why bad things happen. Surely God couldn't be uh, around if he allowed all these things happen. And then the next thing I saw was his face. He was probably about 40. He had the most angry face I've ever seen anywhere. very sad people that hate God have been lied to by the devil the accuser the brethren what is blasphemy Steve blasphemy is by word or action that was designed to insult the holy one It's a very serious thing. Can it be forgiven? Yes, of course it can be forgiven. But forgiven by who? Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah 31. God loves us with an everlasting love. Say it with me, please. God loves us with an everlasting love, which means there's nothing you can do to stop him from loving you. And the context is 
the wicked people of Judah and Jerusalem that had turned their back on God, they were worshiping idols, sacrificing their babies, doing horrible things, murder, abuse, and God kept sending prophets like Jeremiah, and he never could get their attention. So God sent the Babylonian Empire three times. This is history. Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem three times. The third time, the Lord told Jeremiah, tell him, you just go to the front gate. Open the front gate. Let the Babylonians in. Surrender and repent of your sin. And I will save your city. I will save your family. And I will rebuild your life if you just surrender and submit to me. And they would not. A lot of people died when the Babylonians took it. But in the midst of it, God is saying, I love you. Turn to me. Let me help you. The fifth bowl, the final bowl we'll talk about today may be the most difficult bowl. Found in verse number 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Everyone say darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores and they did not repent. They did not repent. They would not give God glory. The fifth bowl is great darkness and pain with the great darkness. That fifth angel poured out his bowl. The scripture says, my word is the headquarters of the Antichrist. The scripture says the throne of the beast. And then that darkness like motor oil, it starts spreading across country after country after country. It claims his various capitals. It came, it claims the infrastructure. It puts everything to a grinding halt. And like Egypt, it was only for three days. But it engulfed the entire country. Now, I do not know how long the scripture doesn't say. If it's going to be three days, three weeks, three months, I don't know. But it's going to shut everything down. And like the darkness in Egypt that was so suffocating, it was so thick. In Egypt, the scripture says you could feel the darkness. That's amazing to think about. You could feel it on your skin. You could feel it on your head. You could feel it when you tried to move. You could feel the darkness. And it's going to be a tremendous shock of extremes. Well, what do you mean? What happened prior, this unrelenting burning sun, too much light, and then the very next morning, there's no sun. There's no light at all. And I'm going to guess the temperatures would plummet because there's no sun. And it means the Lord cut the light switch off. 
You won't repent. You won't let me help you. I'm going to give you more pressure. The lights are off. It looks like this. Confusion. Panic. Fear. Debilitating the unknown. And the pain from their sores would cause them to gnaw their tongues. I've never seen that before. That's pain. That's real pain. Now, this is important. I want you to pay attention. Don't drift. You say, Steve, this is not fun to listen to. It's not fun to teach. But it's in the scripture. It is coming. The the body of Christ will be gone during this time. But this mirror is something that Jesus talked about very seriously called outer darkness. Would you say outer darkness with me? Maybe you've never heard that term. He urged people to avoid the place of outer darkness, which is eternal darkness. No light switch forever. That's away from the presence of the Lord and everything good. It was a place created for the devil and his fallen angels. It was permanent prison. It was universal heavenly prison. The scriptures in Revelation 21 talk, call it the second death. Jesus said about this man, cast him into outer darkness in that place, that place where there's memories, consciousness, regret, remorse, remorse, weeping, and again, this pain threshold where people would gnash their teeth. Now, I thought about this this week. If God is a God of light, is he a God of light? I'm sorry, is he a God of light? Yes. When you were saved, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In our Lord, he is all light and there is no darkness. If God is light and there is a place indeed where God's presence is absent, do you know what that means? That place is total darkness. Because there's nothing good. There's nothing holy. There's no love. There's no family. And that, my friends, is why we share the gospel. You've given your heart to Jesus. You don't have to worry about this. If you've not given your heart to Jesus, this is something you better consider. When I was, when I found Christ at age 18, 50 years ago, immediately something happened inside me. I got a burden to tell others. I wasn't very good at it, but I had to do it. And people came to Christ and I did everything wrong and they still came to Christ. And that's been going on for 50 years. I'm a little better, maybe a little better, not much, a little better. And it's the most wonderful thing I know to tell people about Jesus now. If I don't have time to build a relationship and it's, I only got three seconds, I give out gospel tracts. I try to give out gospel tracts on a regular, consistent basis. I have them in my coat. 
have them in my vehicle, have them in my briefcase. And I usually, I just don't give them out randomly. I feel like the Lord gives me what I call it a burden. I feel compelled. I have a, I'm drawn to somebody. And if I'm, if, if it's a waitress or somebody in the park, I just, here's my standard line. I don't know if it's good. It works. Excuse me, sir. And people look up like, creepy dude. Ooh. <laughs> I say, excuse me. I give out gospel tracts every day. Can I give you one? And I usually hand it, try to stick it up their nose so they can't refuse it. Uh, I'm never rude, but in 45 years, I've had less than five people turn me down. Less than five. So if you were to give out a gospel track, and I make sure I give out ones that people will read, because usually as I walk away, I'll I'll turn and see them reading it. And they've read it. They've heard the gospel. And I know the Holy Spirit is working, or he wouldn't have put me there. And he wouldn't have given me a burden. But let me give you this math kind of analysis. If you were to give a gospel track out every day, what percent of people would it help? What would you guess? My guess is minimum 25%. Where do you get that from? The parable of the soils. A man went out to sow and the seed fell on four kinds of soil. And the last one was a rich soil and they embraced it. And the, the harvest came 20, 40, 60, 80 fold. So I feel like if I give out 300 tracks, I'm going about 25% of them, I'll see those people in heaven. And they may become a missionary and they may help thousands of other people. Now, if the Lord gives me a burden for someone like that person, my, the percentages go way up because, I mean, people have told me, I just, I just, I just asked God to give me a sign that he loved me and you walked up and gave me a track. <clears throat> so Sue and I were with my brother and his wife in Pigeon Forge Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We had a great time, went to rest, hang out, uh, enjoy some good meals. And over three days, I probably gave out 10 tracks. If I give one to a waitress, I make sure I give her a very generous tip to show up. And I just say, thank you for serving us. I've got this little booklet. Can I give it to you? They always say yes. Uh, one guy, we were, we found this really cool pizza place in Pigeon Forge. I won't give you the name. Maybe. Found it on TripAdvisor. So we went and ate. The food was incredible. Small little place, little storefront place. And uh, I'm sitting there, and a guy from the counter walks in. He looks like he's got a Middle Eastern background, and he says, Hey, how'd you like that pizza? And I went, I said, That's the best pizza I've had in a long time. That was like super incredible. So we started a 10-minute conversation. I said, Are you the general manager? Are you the owner? He said, Look at the T-shirt. It's got my face on it. Look at the hat. got my face on it. Look at the box. The old box. Up. Got my face. Up. I said, you'd be the owner, right? So we developed a friendship. I said, how old is it? Oh, it's just a month old. He said, I've got three other stores in Florida. I said, why'd you come up here to do one? He said, man, I thought 5 million vi- visitors every year. This is a place to open a pizza shop. 
I said, well, your stuff is good, and we'll be back. And then he, he, there was a picture on his counter of Donald Trump. And there was handwritten stuff on it. I went, that's got to be fake, right? Donald Trump is not writing you anything, right? Right? He said, no, man, I've delivered, I've catered pizza to two of his events. And they like my stuff so much. The second time, the Secret Service people just said, come on in, Bob. Come on in. Come on in. We want your stuff. And about that time, I was going to talk to him about Jesus or give him a track. And he said, oh, oh, I got to pick up my girl from school. And he ran out the door to get in his big old Ford truck. Guess what your preacher did? I ran after him. Looked kind of weird, but I went after him. And I said, Bob, 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 before you go, here's a little gospel track. Can I give it to you? I give it to all the people I like. And I said, by the way, here's my business card. It's got my phone number. If I can ever help you, you call me. And I'm at a gas pump on my way out. I got to get gas. There's a guy, two guys, young guys in their 20s pull up and they're getting gas, and I feel this burden. Folks, it makes, I don't want to obey the Lord. I don't want to do it. it it's kind of creepy. It's kind of edgy. And I've just learned, just do it and get it over it with. You'll be glad you do it. So I jump out of my car, these two young guys doing construction work in this truck. I come up, hey, hey, guys, excuse me, I give it these gospel tracts every day. Can I give you one? So they both took one. You th- you would have thought I was Santa Claus without the beard. I couldn't believe it. Oh, thank you. This is awesome. We can't wait to read these. The, the, the deal is we want to keep people out of the place of outer darkness. And if I've been delivered, if I'm in the kingdom of light, why am I silent? Why Am I not engaging people? Because the time is short when all this stuff is coming down. And these deceived rebels, they would not repent. They only cursed God. And conclusion, let me kind of change gears in our last minutes. Let's talk about repentance. Repentance is a great gift. Everyone say great gift. It's something we have to learn to do. I want to be someone that repents quickly before the Lord. When he tells me I'm wrong, I want to say, yes, Lord. Help me be a better man. And repentance simply means to turn around. I'm not going to ever talk to my wife that way in such a demeaning way. I will do what the Lord asks me to do. Lord, I'm sorry for that failure. Help me to be a better man. Repentance allows a person to admit they're wrong. And until people admit I'm wrong, I messed that up, nothing's going to change. Because we're all wrong from time to time. We think wrong. We act wrong. We treat people poorly when we should have treated them well. And repentance is not a one-time thing where I got saved. Yeah, I repented. Well, no, it's kind of a daily deal. It's a lifestyle of having a tender heart before the Lord. 
When he says, Steve, you can do better. I want to say, yes, Lord. I'm kind of like this kid. I don't need cleansing one time. I need cleansing on a regular basis. I need to keep my walk with the Lord close. When he knows I've been stubborn, I want to repent. How many people in the room get dirty from time to time? Hold your hand up. Your head, your heart, your hands, your feet. I do. Say these verses with me from 1 John. Say them. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we've not sinned, we make him a... And the word is not in us. Until a person admits they're wrong, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. And this is important. This is very important. This will help you. A holy God, a righteous God, will not fellowship with an unrepentant rebel. If a woman broke up your marriage and messed your kids up and she was unrepentant, would you ask her to come over for Thanksgiving? That would be a no. If a man hurt your, assaulted your child... Would you take him out on the golf course and play around and buy him a new set of clubs? That would be no, unless you take him to the backside and show him a short iron. Humility and repentance is a very precious thing because it releases grace from the throne when we are humble. Well, God looks at us, he's looking for humility, not pride. Humility. Because when you get grace, you get power to do the right thing. Now, let me share this first with you. I don't know if I can pull this slide up or not. There you go. This, These two verses changed my life. It's 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6. It says this. God is opposed to the proud. Everyone say, God is opposed to the proud. When I get an attitude, when I'm not listening, God says, I'm going to put you on the shelf. I'm not working. I'm not helping you. Just don't even talk to me until you get ready to humble yourself. I do not want God working against me. God will go get his belt and come get you. God will take you to outside and spank you thoroughly if you're not listening. Are you with me? So God has this big bank. It's called grace. And grace is power. He says he opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Grace means you you are able to do something today you couldn't do yesterday because it was a gift. 
God gave you the gift to pray. God gave you the gift to love your husband. God gave you the gift to figure out your finances and get out of debt. It's grace. It's the most powerful word in the New Testament. And so the recipe is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so he can lift you at the proper time. Because we want God, worship team, would you guys come out? We want God working for us, working with us. We do not want him working against us because we won't repent. So during these last moments as we worship, I pray you all picked up the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of this congregation to take uh, the Lord's table with us, but we ask that you be in fellowship with him. We ask that you be walking with him and you're listening. And if you know there's something in your heart that's not right, if you know he's speaking but you're not telling him yes, don't take the Lord's table today. Wait. You get it right. And then you take this home with you and you do it at home, okay? Because this is serious stuff. But if you're walking as close to the Lord as you can, not perfectly, but you're moving toward him, let's honor the Lord today by taking his table. This is his offer because he loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us in spite of our sin. He loves us in spite of our flaws. He loves us in spite of our past. He just loves us. So would you take the bread in your hand, please? Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body, which was broken for us. Broken so we could find healing. Body, soul, and spirit. Lord, once again, we commit our lives to you. We humble ourselves before you. And we say, Lord, make us more like Christ. Take and eat. If you'd peel back the top. We thank you, Lord, that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been forgiven because we've received Jesus. We're made sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Lord, we can have daily cleansing. We honor you today. Take and drink. If there's some of you that have been away from the Lord or never received Christ, some of you watching online, and you want to make Jesus your Lord, just pray with me right now and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart and forgive me today. Make me your child. Give me a home in heaven. 
release your call on my life because I commit to serve you the rest of my life as you give me strength. In Jesus' name. And during this last time of worship, the altar is open for you to come and do whatever other business you want to do with the Lord. There's people that will pray with you. But enjoy the Lord's presence. Humbling yourself is always a wonderful thing before him. Savior's robes as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear praises, he hears faith. There is a sound I love to hear. Savior's robes as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear worship, he hears faith. Awake my soul and sing, sing his praise aloud, sing his praise. Praise oh. 
family, it is definitely looking like Christmas around here. You know, this is a great time of year to invite your family and friends to church. People are often more receptive to attending church around Christmas time. So in your bulletin, you will find a card with more information on our Christmas programs and Christmas services. Use these to invite someone to join you for our Christmas celebrations. Additional cards are available at guest services. Our Christmas program this year is called Christmas Through Time. Music and drama will be used to present the story of Jesus' birth through the eyes of the prophets. Showtime is 7 p.m. on Thursday, December 15th and Friday, December 16th. No tickets are needed. Childcare will be available for kids in pre-K and younger. We do ask that anyone needing childcare, please register so that we can be prepared to take care of your kids. Visit our website for more information and childcare registration. Christmas Day falls on Sunday this year. Instead of our usual two Sunday morning services, we will be having one worship service that morning at 10 a.m. We will also have a Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. on Saturday, December 24th. Now, these two services will be different, but childcare is available for pre-K and younger and will be available at both services. We will also have a Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. on Saturday, December 24th. Now, these two services will be different, but childcare for pre-K and younger will be available at both services. Since things are a little different this year, we could use your help. Please take a minute to fill out our online Christmas service survey. This is not a registration or anything set in stone, just a simple poll that will help us plan. We want to be prepared to welcome you and your family at one or both of our Christmas services. Just a reminder that next Sunday is the final day to bring Toys for Recovery. We are partnering with Revive Lifehouse to give their clients the opportunity to select gifts for their children. Please bring new unwrapped toys to church on Sunday, December 11th. There will be a table in the lobby where you can drop them off. We need items for kids of all ages, including teenagers. Please help make Christmas shopping happen for our friends at Revive. Church of the Savior, these are your December 4th announcements. We pray that your lives are transformed today because you've been in the presence of God. Now it's greeting time. Please stand up, find someone you don't know, and ask them the all-important Christmas tree question, real or fake? 